Hey everyone, our guest this week is Allison Kay. Allison is the president and partner of SB Projects founded by Scooter Braun, and oftentimes she is referred to as one of the most powerful executives in the entertainment industry. SB Projects is known for managing megastars such as Justin Bieber, Ariana Grande, and Demi Lovato. During our conversation with Allison, we talked about her unexpected transition from being a lawyer to an artist manager. And Allison also mentioned how she deals with stress and the importance of staying present with her thoughts. We hope you enjoy our inspiring conversation with Allison Kay on Came a Long Way. Hello, everyone. You're listening to UCLA Radio, and this is Came a Long Way by Ella. I'm my co-producer here, Amir, and we have a very special guest, Allison Kay here. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. So for some of our listeners who might not know, um, you're the president of SB Projects, and you're one of the most successful entertainment executives right now in the industry. Oh, thanks, and, <laughs> and your background um, starts in legal. So at one point, did you um, start to your transition towards the entertainment industry? Um, so I actually started as an entertainment lawyer. Like my very first job out of law school was entertainment law. Um, not because I necessarily set out to do it, but kind of that's just where it landed. Um, and everything about my career is like to a certain extent been that just kind of like an opportunity presents itself. And it's something that seems like it could maybe make sense. And I jumped on it. So I was a practicing attorney for, I want to say like three years or so, um, like passed a bar, keep the bar memberships up, but do not really practice anymore. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I want to ask you, like, how did being in the entertainment industry, like, help you grow as a person, too? What are some of the lessons you've learned and how did it change you as a person? Um, I think it changed me as a person more than I really have ever given it credit for or thought about. Um, like, it, figure you're raised, or not raised, but most of us are, grow up thinking that, like, you're on this one path that is to create a career for yourself and a job for yourself and a life for yourself. And you're very like you focused. It's about like the best opportunity for you or what makes the most sense for you. Um, and when I went from being a lawyer to being a manager, it had to stop being about me and about my career and about the right move for me, because what was the right move for me? 95% of the time isn't the right move for my client. Um, and they come first. And so the way that the way that I even approach doing a job changes every day, depending on what client I'm dealing with. Um, as opposed to when you're a lawyer figure, you're like knocking out a document. I was working for a company and I, so how I did it as long as it got done didn't matter. Like the, the way of getting to things became as important as the thing itself as soon as I started doing this job. So going off of that, can you give us like one example of a situation where you felt really low and then how you overcame that situation? Um, I mean, there have been a lot of it. I mean, I think that the only job I've ever been fired from is manager. Um, when I was managing Asher Roth, we were not the best fit. And I think it's because I was a baby manager and I had no idea what I was doing. Um, and I thankfully made the right decisions. But the way I went about things a lot of time was was abrasive to him. It was like he is the type of person that needs to wake up, like have his mind wake up after noon. And I'm the type of person that once my head is off the pillow, I'm going. So we would like get in a van in the morning and I'd get up in his face and be like, all right, and here are the things we're going to do for the day. And he'd be like, can you just tell me the one place we're going to right now? And when I'm ready to talk to you about the rest of the day, I'll let you know. Um, and 
And so he he fired me, I want to say like eight times. I got fired by Asher so many times. Um, and it was every single time it was kind of this introspective lesson on the other side of where do I go from here? Sometimes I still stayed on as his lawyer in the interim. Sometimes we like completely parted ways in the interim. Um, and it it really taught me how to like look at myself and how I was doing the job um, and and figure out how to remedy it. Um, so it the whole thing was like a very big learning lesson in terms of like how I got myself out of the lows. It would just kind of you can only wallow for so long, you know, like at a certain point you have to be like you don't no one gets fired for no reason. So at a certain point, you have to, like, stop the, like, the blaming or the, like, eh, he just doesn't like me. No, like, I did something. And so I think it, it really taught me, like, not sit in those lows. Like, how did I get myself out of them? I just kind of stopped because you have to. Because, um, you like, you just can't wallow forever. It's not productive. And going off of that, how do you um, deal with negativity and stress in a really, like, a face test? Um, environments such as the music industry do you have like a routine to clear your mind um going to the gym definitely and that's a new thing it used to be I could not clear my head I'd be in the gym and it would be like the most stressful thing in the world that my phone was sitting there um and I then went somewhere for a week where I had no access to my phone and I realized that like if I can go a week I can go an hour and so like that hour day where it's fully about like just not dying, trying to get through like a class or a, a, like a cardio situation or whatever, like just having an hour where my mind is blank is super helpful. Also, like I have kids now and that gives me a lot of perspective because you can't bring it home with you. It doesn't matter. Like, thankfully, I'm not saving lives. I don't know if I would be great at doing it. I imagine I wouldn't. But like I'm not doing anything that is life or death like I I we we make people happy we we give people solace but like i am i am not saving any lives so at the end of the day it isn't life or death i will go home i will be with my kids i will leave it at the front door until they go to sleep and then if i got to pick it back up and get back to work i will <laughs> but like it your my kids give me a lot of perspective in that also i think you know we we discuss a lot about what true success means for some people it's finding happiness it's a job promotion financial progress What's your definition of success? Um, I feel like my definition of success for all the reasons that I was talking about earlier aren't necessarily tied to me so much anymore. Like, thankfully, like the the normal metrics of success of like getting a good job and 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 having a career and like making money to support your family, like all those metrics have been met in my career. Obviously, like I'm still going, so it was not the way that I defined success, but. For me, like the times that feel the most successful are when someone, whether it's like a client or a business partner, I figure our job is to basically take these people who are hyper creative and figure out like a way to package up the, their creativity and get it to people in a way that is palatable for people to receive it and get the most eyeballs on it as possible. So like every single time we release, regardless of how it is received, it, it feels super successful. And I feel like as long as I'm able to continue to do that, I'm going to, that that's my metric of success. Are we making new stuff? Does it feel interesting? Is it exciting? And is it getting out there? And um, also, like, in, a, in an environment like the music industry, it's usually hard to get out of your comfort zone. And um, how do you encourage your team to get, like, more responsibility and get out of their comfort zones? Um, well, it's funny because people look at our company and, like, the like the artists that we represent now and they think it's, like, this, that it's, like, glossy and together. Like, it is not. 
Like we we are still like it's a very scrappy startup because Scooter and I like both worked normal jobs for three minutes. Like we don't really know how to run a company the way that one would expect like a company of our size to run. Um, And so like we say to everyone when they come through the door, you have to be a self-starter. There are going to be a million opportunities. Like I feel like we have people that come in and want to be managers and end up doing marketing and people that come in and want to do marketing and end up working in film and TV and people that come in and film and TV and end up being A&Rs on music. It's literally like our, our building creates this opportunity for you to figure out what you want to do. And for most of our staff, it's your first job. And so like we tell them not to get tied down to anything. If something sounds interesting, like come to us, ask us what you ask us. If you can get involved, we're always going to try to find a way to help you figure it out because people helped us figure it out. And that's how we got here. Um, and so it, it's more about like, don't have a comfort zone coming in. And you, you mentioned that you run the company more as like a startup structure, but I'm sure now a lot of people look at you and Scooter as guidance. Mm-hmm. Who, who are you looking up to as a mentor or someone that you get advice from? Um, I feel like I go to Wendy Goldstein, who's the president, West Coast president of Republic and Jody Gershon, who's the head of UMPG all the time. I mean, like, it, I've known Jody forever. Wendy is was Ari's A and R at the very beginning of her career, and has been with us always. And they're they're two women who've really done things on their own terms and have figured out how to be great at what they do. And not, I think, especially as a woman in the music industry, there's this tendency to like be a plug filler almost of like a, I can do all of these things, so let me do something. And they have like stayed resolutely. This is what we're great at. Like Jody is an amazing publisher. Wendy is an amazing A&R. They've made names for themselves doing what it is that they want to be doing as opposed to what other people thought that they might be good at. And so I feel like I go to them a lot when I feel a little bit turned around. I'm like, you guys tell point me where I'm supposed to go. <laughs> so as I always say, this is my favorite part of the show. <laughs> so we're going to give you three different years in the past, and we want you to give us like an important memory from each of them. So first one is 2005. All right, 2005, I was in my second year of law school. Um, it is the year where I take my first internship in the music industry, but more importantly than music-wise, it was the year I decided that I wasn't going to go to a law firm. I had like gone through, I want to say like a gazillion on-campus interviews and flown up to New York a thousand times doing doing those like doing the callbacks and I went to my acceptance dinner and I remember like sitting there and it was like at a very reputable firm I was going to get paid everything my parents wanted me to get paid to pay down my loans for the summer and I like sat at this dinner and watched the junior associate which is what I was going to be in two years like sitting through this dinner looking miserable and like they had not seen sunlight in a year and a half and they like sat through this dinner and then went back to the office when it was done and I got on the train. My parents live in Connecticut and I was in Manhattan. So I got on Metro North and went home to see them for the night because it was a Friday. So I had the weekend and I walked on the house and I was like, I'm not doing it. And my parents were like, you're not doing what? And I was like, you're, I'm not doing it. I'm not. I will not go work at a firm. And they were like, so let's rewind and discuss the amount of school that we've paid for. And I'm like, I don't care. Like the amount of school that you paid for has put me in school for 25 years. I don't want to do this after 25 years of school. And so my mom was kind of like, I always told you that I want you to have a career, not a job. You're right. Go figure out what you want to do. And I was like, I want to go to business school. And they were like, false. You're getting a job. And so I like thought I had them. I was like, yeah, fine. 
I want to do entertainment law, but like you need a connection for that and you don't have one. So I'm going to go fill out my, my UCO application now. And they were like, false, we do sit down. And I was in New York on this guy, Jerry's couch the next day taking an interview. But like it was 2005 was definitely the year that I decided that like the very conventional path that I was supposed to be taking, I wasn't going to take. So I'd say that would be it for 2010. So continuing the next year, 2010. 2010 is Justin Bieber's first headlining tour. So I feel like that gets it. I want to say it was June. He had done his first solo show February of that year. I think we did it on Valentine's Day at the Palladium. So his first solo headlining show was the Palladium. And then we literally, he opened for Taylor Swift in two markets, actually the fall before in, in 2009. And then his first headlining tour was was the spring or summer of 2010. Um, and I, like, remember standing on, like, the floor at the XL Center in Hartford and, like, it was bigger. It's Connecticut, so it was home for both me and Scooter. And so our parents were there and, like, our parents are so proud. And I remember, like, looking at Scooter and him looking at me and us both being, like, how did this just happen? You know, like, it was just this, like, moment where, like, we it was the first moment I feel like we stopped in, like, the course of Justin growing to, like, look around a room and realize what we'd done. Um, and so... That I feel like gets the 2010 for sure. I, I want to ask something real quick. Mm-hmm. So now I'm making the connection between 2005 and 10. Yeah. You, you kind of like picked your own path in 2005, which kind of like freaked out your parents for a bit, but you ultimately chose your passion. So when looking back, do you see that as like you took like a big risk there or like what's like the main thing that led you to go for your passion? I don't know if like that, that decision definitely tips things in a certain direction for me. But in all honesty, like that, that job had a shelf life, like being a lawyer at a record label at a certain point, I was going to have to go be a lawyer at a law firm, even if I was a lawyer at a record label for a certain period of time, even to come back and become a label lawyer again, like I was going to have to go learn the artist side. So like, that was kind of like a pause as opposed to like a stop. Um, And then I like very randomly fall into management from there. Like it uh, the the short, short version of the story is that I had a friend at Duke, went to Emory, met Asher Roth, introduced me to Asher. And like in the due course of time, Asher asked me to be his manager. Two days later, his mom does or asked me to be his lawyer. Two days later, his mom does a tarot card reading that says I'm supposed to manage him. And he asks me to do that. And I was like, no, never. I will never be a manager. And my parents were like, you hate your job. Try it. And so I think that is the point. Like, that's where I make the leap. But like, so I kind of like put a pause still like, but wasn't really ready to make a jump and then kind of get pushed, I guess, is okay. the best way to describe it. And then continuing, um, how about 2015? 2015, um, again, Justin, I tried to look for an RA one, but sorry, RA released in 2014 <laughs> and 16. So you, you kind of screwed me there. I can't give you one. Um, but 2015 gets Justin because it it's the comeback. It's It's what do you mean and where are you now? It was... Like, I remember, you know, executives telling Scooter and I to stop talking to them about Justin Bieber, that he'd ruined it, that it was over, that the belief cycle had killed it. And, like, we just knew it wasn't done and that he wasn't done. Um, And so it was – he was better for a considerable period of time before we let him put music out. He had to show us that he was sober and together for six months. Um, And and the original plan was to do it at the roast and the music wasn't ready. And so – we kind of sat on it, but like that, that's the year where he kind of like showed the world, like not only am I back, but I'm an adult and I am back and cemented a career for himself, which, you know, for us, it's like, you know, 
from my perspective, he is a once in a generation artist. And so when things went off the rails, it was scary to see because I knew there was so much more he had left to do. And so 2015 was the year that like we got validated, that it was like we were right to like to to grind through it. Like he's family to me. So no matter what, even if I thought it was over, I still would have been there. But like it was good to like be able to like look everyone in the face and be like, you shouldn't have given up either. And now like look at him. Um, so 2015, his comeback definitely gets it for me. And going off of that, I'm just curious, when your artists have these important milestones in their careers, is that more of a relief for you or is it more like a pressure for the people? Um, I think that every artist is different. The thing that we tell artists when we sign them is that we, you will have no what ifs. I can't guarantee you what's going to happen. I don't know if people are going to respond to what you're making. It's your art. I'm not going to push you in a direction to make it that's inauthentic to you because then what's the point? Um, and so I think when when they have those major moments, it feels like everything clicked. But I don't feel like it creates pressure because I, I'm not going to take something on unless I know I can give it the best shot it could possibly have. Um, and And I also am cognizant even in my own career how much of it is luck. Um, and being in the right place at the right time. So just because it doesn't work at a certain minute doesn't mean it's not going to work in a little bit. So it's also about like the perseverance of it. So I don't really get disheartened or feel pressure when it works or it doesn't work. It's just more like a, if it doesn't work, you have to pivot. So based off of your experience, are you someone that usually stays in the present or are you more forward thinking? Which one have you found more of? I have worked hard to have the presence when it is important. Like I very much am thinking of the next step, but that's because like, that's the job. But I, I like definitely, I was, we were at Barclays um, for Ari did like two, she had two sold out shows in Brooklyn and two in, at MSG and I turned to Scooter in Barclays and I was like, did you ever stop and like do a look around and like recognize it? And he was like, no. And I was like, I feel like we need to go on the floor and do it. It's like, cause it gets easy to start blowing through it. But like it, each one of those moments is special. I say to artists all the time, every time, like if you called any one of them the day of their first release, I always tell them, like, take a minute and enjoy it. It will never feel like this again. It is never the first time again. It will feel like a routine even the next time you go to do this. So, like, enjoy it right now. Like, make sure you take stock of this moment. And I think the fact that I can recognize those moments for them and point them out to them makes me more aware of them, too. And if you could give one advice to your younger self who's just starting to get into the business, what would you say? Um, I would probably encourage myself and it's something that thankfully I did anyway, but like definitely had to force myself to do like I got here so unconventionally and I feel like so much of it has just been like following opportunities as they come. And I don't think this was something just to my younger self, but I think it's true for anyone doing anything that no matter what you're doing, no matter how mindless it seems or stupid it seems or like beneath you it seems like do it to the best of your ability because you don't know what the next thing is going to be that you do and you don't know who's going to see you doing that thing and if you're giving it your all it's going to get recognized like when I was an intern I feel like I was doing stupid licensing spreadsheets like I almost had a law degree like I shouldn't have been doing this but like I was the last one in the office I wasn't it, I did not go home until it was finished and like that's what eventually leads to me getting a job so it's it's one of those things that like don't ever focus on what the task is, but more that you're doing it for you. So if you're going to spend your time doing it, do it the best that you can. And um, if you could play one song out of your phone right now, what song would it be and why? Um, one phone off my song right now, what would it be and why? Um, 
probably the bad guy remix that came out yesterday because it's been <laughs> sitting on my phone only for me for months. And so I'm so like, I feel like I've had it on repeat. My husband's like, you've had this on repeat in the house for months. And I'm like, I'm aware, but now it can be on the radio. So I'm super stoked that other people can listen to it. So I feel like that would be it. And going off of that, like, uh, how do you make the balance between family and work, especially now that you do have your own family? My husband is a stay-at-home dad, so he gets 97% of the credit because it is the hardest job of all time. Um, but I think that it's been, I think once I realized that the only way to, like, have the, the cliche of it all is to change what your version of it all means. And so, like, I stopped worrying about, like, if I'm not home, if my kids are alive and they are fed and they are happy, I don't care what happens anymore. Like, he's not going to do anything the way that I want it done. My nanny is not going to do anything the way I want it done. And that's totally fine. My kids are happy. They're thriving. They're doing great. Like, it's about making the most of the time that I have wherever I am. So if I'm at work, I'm doing my job. I'm not going to sit on face. Like if something happens with my kids, obviously I'm going to get on FaceTime, but like, I'm not going to sit on FaceTime all day long. I'm not going to like F around on my computer and play on Facebook. If I am at work, I'm going to get my work done so that when I'm at home, I can be singularly focused on my kids. And when they go to sleep, I can be focused on my marriage. It's just about like giving a hundred percent to wherever I am. And what's the final message that I would like to give, especially to the recent graduates that are kind of feeling lost in life right now, overwhelmed by all the options. Don't get stuck in an idea of what you think it's supposed to be. Like if something feel like you're not, I know that like as a student, I remember, figure I was a student, I feel like longer than anyone. So like I remember it well, you feel like that first decision or that second decision you make after you graduate or like in, as it relates to a summer defines the rest of your life. Nothing defines the rest of your life. Do what's making you happy right now. Maybe that leads you to the next thing that you want to do. But just make sure you're doing something productive. Like you you don't, it's a mistake that I've made over and over again professionally in my personal life. Like I can equate it to buying your first house. Don't buy your first house for the schools for the school district. You don't have kids yet. Just buy your first house because it's where you want to live and it makes sense for your life right now. And then worry what happens five years from now, five years from now. Like especially as a recent graduate, there's, yes, there's going to be a point where you're, there's going to be this inflection point And you have to make a decision for the rest of your life. But that point doesn't come at 21 for most people. So like do what, take a job that makes you happy, that you are interested in, that you feel like it's something that you can grow in. And if it turns out to not be the right thing, cut and run and try something else on. Like this is the time in your life that you have to do that where you don't have the outside responsibilities. Like even your student loans can be deferred for right now. So like just try, try the things that make you happy because ultimately that's going to be what you find to be fulfilling down the line. For more, subscribe to Came A Long Way on Came A Long Way Apple podcast page and follow us on Instagram at Came A Long Way.